happy hump day, everybody. Mm-hmm. See, we need to get those faces like we have in the in our uh, thumbnail, just like those frozen faces. How's everybody doing on a, a hump day? It's, it's cold, rainy here Boston. in the United States, here where I'm at in the U.S., so. Oh, man, it's cold it's here. very cold it's here in Newcastle, yeah. So we got it cold all the way around the board. Is it raining there, too, for you guys? So It is. Yeah. But don't worry, Andrew. There'll be plenty of hot air to warm things up really soon. <laughs> Uh, it's good to see you guys again this week yeah richard joining us from linkedin land this week yeah he's from maryland let us know what it's like over in maryland i think you're a couple probably a couple hours away from me richard uh but thanks for joining us again this week we appreciate that like those repeat guests uh so if this is the first time you're catching the show let us know as well in the comments or if you happen to be listening to this on the podcast let us know whether this is the first time that you've listened to the show and what you think of it. And obviously give us some, some ratings and some feedback would be great. Uh, we always like that. So, so anything new in your world, uh, Pete, you got to talk about that big, huge honking TV oh. behind you. <laughs> so yeah, as I, as I just, so I'm shooting a video where I use a 65 inch TV as a computer monitor for a while. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's big. <laughs> it's uh, very interesting to work on when you're sat there and you're having to like physically move your body and head to uh, see what's going on. Great. It's um, the reason being because there was a 55 inch Samsung Arc, which is this really nice curve, like massive thing that you can swivel and make vertical. Really yeah. cool, but it's like three thousand five hundred dollars, I think, to buy it. And this 65 inch TV is. I think it's $2,500, about £1,500. So it's almost half the price. And it's basically got the same specs apart from the curve and it doesn't flip into like a, a vertical thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's, yeah, def- definitely fun to work with. I bet. You probably have is to sit. Like How far do you sit away row? from it? Yeah, I was like, is it not like being at the front row of the cinema? You know, like nobody wants those I, front I row seats. you could... If you could wall mount it, it would make a big difference because I also stupidly have one of these IKEA desks, which is only 60, um, 60 millimeters deep, or sorry, 600 millimeters deep, rather than a kitchen worktop, rather than a you know 80, which is a normal desk. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, if, if you had a normal desk and wall mounted it, it might be acceptable. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's official across the board. Richard said it's raining where he's at as well, so... He said that beats the snow. This would all be snow if uh, if it was a little bit colder. So, <laughs> anyway, all right, let's jump into our topic this week. Our topic this week we touched on uh, Richard's point last week. I figured we make this the topic of the show. How do we reduce customer support costs? How do we reduce the cost of our help desk while at the same time maintaining high levels of customer service? We'll we'll specify that at the end there. That in the asterisk, in the parentheses, without sacrificing uh, customer service. So who wants to jump in and, and fire away on this one? And we probably have many, many areas that all of us have experience with. I think this this topic came up because on the last show, we were talking about my travels. I was at IT Nation uh, in Orlando and then a Cronus Summit uh, the week before, uh, or a few days before that as well. So loads of vendors from all over the world, especially IT Nation, hundreds and hundreds of vendors there, and MSPs going around and sort of checking out all the different solutions and offerings. And 
it was interesting. Some of the conversations I had with MSPs while I was over in the US, they were talking about, oh, this solution looks good or this vendor solution looks good. But they seem to be focused on how much the solutions cost. Now, I can totally understand that. You know, you want to know what the license cost is or the ticket price uh, for those things. But I was trying to reframe the conversations with the MSPs to instead of focusing on what these tools cost, I was saying to them, well, what are they going to save you? What are they going to make you in money, in savings, in time and money? And I think that's for me, that's um, a big mind shift that the MSP industry needs to undergo is when you're looking at your uh, managed service contracts with clients, you want to be looking for opportunities to lower your cost of support. I said on last week's show, for me, the old man of the industry, having been doing this for a long time, it's a fundamental tenant of managed services. You're always looking to reduce your costs of support. So that's where the conversation came from. And if you know, I'm sure we're going to have loads of different examples, but the one that 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 jumped out to me was I was speaking to an MSP who had implemented um, a content filtering solution with uh, one of their clients. Uh, and we were actually talking about how much it had cost them to implement. But after the first 12 months, they looked at it and that sort of return on investment there that actually saved the equivalent of two members of staff's worth of salaries because they were spending so much time fixing uh you know breaches fixing machines that have been uh, that are dying and having to re-image them and all those type of things that when they put the content filtering solution in place they blocked out you know 90 percent or so of the issues that they were previously experiencing and having to raise clients were having to raise tickets and to deal with so for me that's a really good example and we won't go into the specific tools that they used in that but for me it's just a really broad example of okay the tool costs this much but it is going to save us this much. We're going to lower our cost of support and the return on investment. It's really simple to see. That one's interesting. I think that one's interesting to, to, because everybody's about the latest cybersecurity tool, uh, you know, one pane of glass, all of that stuff. But that's interesting. The content filtering is actually a better solution. It's such a basic thing, thing, isn't it? But loads of MSPs still don't use those type of tools. So yeah. Yeah. I'd, um, I always like to think that if you if you stop to take a look through your regular service test tickets and look for your repeat incidents and then look at how you can weed those out. Um, and a real simple example of this, and this is going back a few years from um, when I was at a previous MSP, we had a very large network uh, division. It's Jez. Hey, Jez. Um, <laughs> sorry, for those who are listening, Jez is just, there he is. Hello. Um, we had a very large networking division, um, like 50 or 60 million of our revenues were coming from network services. And we would have thousands and thousands of DSL router endpoints. And what we know is that every few weeks, um, the DSL speeds get slower and slower and slower until eventually the DSL router will just not do anything. And it just needs a kick. It just needs a reboot. But of course, that's an outage. And that's a ticket and that's someone's got to get on and get into the service desk system and then get the remote access details and then get onto probably the other device and then hop across and try and issue a remote reboot or get the customer on the phone and reboot that device. Um, and as I said, we had thousands of endpoints and this was happening frequently daily with hundreds of tickets every month. And you know what it needs. And we all know we can sit here now and go, well, oh, geez, this is a really obvious answer is just a bit of automation and a bit of scripting. We put all of the routers that were DSL routers into batches. 
and we would schedule an out-of-hours maintenance window to reboot them proactively. Um, I forget what it was. I don't know if we did it weekly or every two weeks for the different clients, but essentially it was just a simple case of going, what are the things that are wasting our times? Okay, well, there's so much time wasted on these DSL reboots, and we know what the answer is. It's a clear fix. Why don't we just do this? Um, and it's it's that kind of behavior that you just go, I know it's hard because we get busy in service desk and we get so many tickets through and you just concentrate on going from one to the next to the next to the next and getting closure. But taking that step back and going, what are the what are the patterns? What are the reoccurrences? What are the things that we can tune out? What And again, always back to what can we automate so that someone doesn't have to do this? Because it's just a thankless job that no one wants to do. How can we weed this stuff out? And I think that makes a huge difference in lowering your costs. But also, it means that your engineers are doing less of the really niff-naff work. And you know, yeah. they can then spend more time on more interesting things that are actually either really going to help a customer in a personal way or actually spend some more time to put some more time back into service desk and making you know things better. How often did you do that? The stepping back piece. Yeah. So we would do that once a month. So we had a service desk manager um, who would then sit with head of operations and we would go through and we had different, we had different segments, if you understand. So we would have like networking, we would have cloud services, data center services. And so once a month we would go through and look for repeat patterns and then go, right, what are these? How can we weed these out? And some of them we knew were just long-term issues that we we just couldn't do anything about the technology didn't support it. We didn't have the right access methods. There just, there wasn't an easy way to automate it, but for anything else, we would try and find a regular fix that we could just implement that meant we didn't do things. In some cases, it actually meant that we would stop selling products because we would look at something and go, this was great when we put it out, but here we are 12 months, 24 months later, living with the legacy of such a massive headache in service tickets that we can't keep selling this because it's just a massive drain. The customers don't enjoy it. We get really bad service reports. The engineers can't stand working on it. We have to, you know, we have to sunset this product. So again, we were a large scale MSP there. So, but that was a monthly cadence where we had to do that because you're talking thousands of service desk tickets. There had to be a way for us to continue to filter it. Service desk at that stage would have been, I want to say 30, about 30 heads in service desk, ranging from first to, to second line there. And then third line was in a separate set of teams in their specific um, specialities. But there were 30 people in kind of first and second dealing with that level of, of incidents. What about you, Pete? Did you do something similar? I'd probably add to, um, add to Scott's comment there. So, so, you know, looking for efficiencies and the things you can automate... Um, there's, I, I guess, the more traditional MSP model, you'd start thinking about having like a knock and a sock at some stage or, you know, either outsourcing it or having at least dedicated staff in, in the house to run that. Um, and typically, I always found it's like the, the knock and sock that would do the heavy lifting in terms of the automation because they automate the knock and sock, you know, all the reports, all the alerting and all those kind of things. Um, but I, I think there's a case, and I've, I've mentioned it before, of having, um, you know, certainly not in the, you know, the nimble MSPs. But as you start growing, actually have a dedicated role for, for an automation engineer. And that's not just to sit there on the knock and sock. It's to really sit down and look at the business processes, look at the help desk system, um, even doing things for clients as well. Like how can you, um, you know, implement and automate your clients um, kind of you know, th their own processes and procedures internally? Um, almost as a, you know, like a value add service you can resell to your clients. But certainly there were so many things that um, 
you know, we, we had a, a you know, role that was an automation engineer and their role was basically look at, look through the business, speak to the engineers, find out those things that just take time. People do repeatedly over and over again. They're boring, they're time consuming, or they're simple and can be very easily automated, um, even down to the, you know, the more complex stuff. But um, and the great news is that that whole role is R and Dable, so you can claim the tax back here in the UK for that entire role. The the chair they're sitting on, there, the, you know, the, the salary, the pension payments, the software they're using, like everything can be R and Dable, which is a really really good uh, benefit. And um, you you just run through the business and, and automate everything. Uh, there, there were so many things we we put automation through, and yeah, like Scott said, it's it, it's about stepping back and realizing that. You could spend, you know, maybe ten minutes automating this thing once versus the one to five minutes doing it every week for for infinity. So I'd always choose to do, you know, do take the time and do it once, but do it really, really well. Um, and and similarly, I guess to that effect, going back to your discussion, uh, I think Andrew or, or no, sorry, Richard, um, in terms of buying the the right application, the right bit of, bit of software to begin with. Um, and certainly from my perspective, it was always keeping growth in mind because I don't want to have to you know, buy the tool or the product, whatever it's going to be today. And then by the time I've added a couple of members to my team or added a couple of clients, then I have to go and find a different tool because it's now not scalable and you know, won't sufficiently supply or, right. or, or work for them. So with every single tool I look at, it's always, can I add like another, you know, it, whatever your aspirations are, can I add another 30 staff to this tool? And it's going to, you know, it's going to last. I'm not going to have to swap things out again in a year's time because we all know how difficult it is to, you know, PSA tools and RMM tools. Once you're in, you're kind of in for a, in for a life almost because it's such a big thing to, to switch over. So just be, um, yeah, be very sure of the tools that you're you're taking. And uh, and, and yeah, to Richard's comment, it cost. It, it does, of course, matter. But yeah. when you're looking at the, the right tool to do the right job, you're basically looking for the best tool. You know, I want yeah. the best tool that's going to do the best job for my clients. If that's what it costs. That's what it costs within reason, um, of course. And um, I think mostly nowadays when I speak to clients about you know, which products, and which tools and services, the the added cost comes from having too many tools almost, which is perhaps being an almost like an overly cautious approach of, you know, how many um, next gen antivirus engines do you need to be running at, on one platform to, to make sure your clients are protected? Um, and of course, yeah, you've got your web filtering, your email filtering, but you know, what, what levels of web filtering? Well, there's a there's a router or router version of web filtering filtering versus the DNS version that's installed locally versus the, and so you can kind of, you know, we all know layering up is good, but there's also a certain extent where you can maybe layer too many layers um, and it and it does get very, very expensive very quickly. So um, I guess to that, that, to summarize that part is simplification to a certain extent um, to try and simplify things. So it's, it's not just a, a massive headache to keep things going. Uh, so I know that's a mixture of everything there. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree with, with what Scott kicked us off with. I think that's a simple approach that an MSP can make no matter what size you are, is starting by that step back, that 30,000-foot view, uh, to make the tickets not come in in the first place. I mean, that's that's where we start. That's how you reduce that overall burden on the staff. That's how you reduce cost. We started doing it weekly. Uh, I went to a weekly cadence, and 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon, one to two, that was a time dedicated for all of our staff to go through the tickets for the week. I went to a weekly cadence just because tickets were a bit more fresh in the tech's minds. They, you know, and, and that's what we did. I actually did something a little bit better rather than me as the MSP owner having to do it. 
I delegated it to the guy that, that was running my help desk at the time, put him in charge of it. And that's where we classify all the tickets. Was it a, uh, could we automate? Is this a hardware problem? Does hardware need to be replaced? Or is this a training problem? Is this, right. can, can it be, is it training on our part? Or can we provide training to the clients so that those tickets don't come back in? And we found by classifying that, I mean, it dramatically reduced the amount of tickets that we got. Because I put him, he's like, okay, I can automate this. Great, you're in charge of it. And that was his job over the next week. When we came together on the following week, he would have that, that script or whatever it was. We were using Continuum at the time. You know, whatever that automation was to prevent the ticket, if it was possible, those were implemented during that week, that following week. Um, so that helped dramatically. Uh, Richard, you, you wanted to make a point about uh, hardware, and I know we could it kind of yeah. go off on so, tangents on hardware this year, especially. <laughs> we can go off on a wild tangent for this, but the one, the, the, there's two, two points I wanted to make. The first one is, um, as well as looking to lower your cost of support, one of the things I learned really early on in my managed service career was to increase the uh, revenue that you generate as well. And one area that's super, super simple that I think MSPs overlook all the time and that's with the internet connection. So uh, Scott already talked about, you know, the internet connection, the, the ADSL router gets clogged up and it dies and automation is great for, for restarting it. But lots of people listening or watching today will know if they look into the root cause analysis of their um, uh, some of their tickets that they've got some clients who are on really, really rubbish broadband. And I'm not talking about the speed here, although that's one aspect of it. I'm talking about the provider. We've got clients who, you know, insist on using um, uh, um, residential grade broadband when they really should be on commercial grade. You've got here in the UK, you've got clients who are using like BT or Sky or whatever it is. And no knock at those providers per se. But if you look at the amount of time that you actually spend um, you know, resolving tickets or even, oh, the internet's going slow, those type of calls. So what we did, as soon as we started having those type of tickets come through, we went back to the clients and we said, actually, what we recommend is that you use this ISP. And we had a relationship with the local, local internet service provider who provided business grade support. But really importantly, we made a margin from it. And that's not the most important bit. But the most important bit was we had a really good relationship with their support team. So if anything did go wrong, it took us way less time to actually go and fix it. So we rolled that out across all of our clients. So think of the upshot here. We're spending less time resolving client tickets. If we do have to result, go in and deal with an internet issue, we've got a good relationship with the ISP service desk team. And we make money, we make revenue off it each and every month as well. Win, win, win across the board. So I'm intrigued, like Scott, um, you, you know, most of your clients work in the cloud now. What what do you do from the internet side of things? Um, it's a really good point because we've been asked a number of times, like if we'll provide the internet service and we, we don't. Um, it's one of those things that we've always stayed away from. And so we have, if, for everything else, we have a recommended set of partners that we use. Um, and so generally, if we have to guide towards someone, it will be somebody like Gamma, um, where we would say, hey, these, you know, these are great people to use. Um, but we don't we don't get involved in the Internet connectivity side of things. I know it sounds really strange as, a, as an MSP, but it's just nothing. 
Sorry. Jez, Jez has just put in the comments that there's no other connectivity options other than Starlink. Is that because Starlink. of Elon? Jez. Um, I, I, I think he was making Elon's reference. He, he was at a customer site this week. He said we were at a customer this weekend right. with uh, 12 up, 12 up and 12 down. They have 5G nearby. Oh, I, see. So. I see. I didn't see the other. I just thought he was uh, just being an advocate for only Starlink. I just saw the second part, Jez. I'm really sorry. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, we we will um, we'll recommend a trusted partner. Again, someone that's got a good reputation. We've always had that conversation, though, even in previous businesses. You know, customers will want to pay for residential broadband. And, you know, we, we can have the conversation, well, the contention ratio is different. I think you'll find on a, a business broadband, it's only 20 to 1 contention ratio, but it's 50 to 1 on residential. It doesn't mean anything to the customers. But when you say to them, look, there is no SLA on the residential, so if it breaks... It'll come back when it comes back. Might be a day, might be a week. If you're running a business, you'd probably rather want to know that that SLA is like 99.9% and you've got a guaranteed fixed time of four hours. Um, that's more important because how much does four hours um, downtime cost versus, you know, two or three days? Um, I can't judge you, Jez. I'm, Jez is saying, haha, judge me. I can't judge you. Only Elon will judge you for not selling enough Starlinks. <laughs> I think that touches on a key point that MSP, how important vendor management is. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming, and I don't want to make a broad assumption. I'm assuming that you guys all did vendor management as part of your managed services. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I kind of assume that now, and there's a lot of MSPs out there, especially some of the nimble ones that don't. Well, should we explain that for the benefit of any, you know, sort of newbies to the industry? So when we talk about vendor management, you know, when we're not talking about your your ConnectWise and your, you know, SuperOps and, and, and the MSP vendors per se, what we're talking about is when your client phones you and they say, we've got a problem with our broadband connection, um, we're all familiar with the scenario where, you uh, say to them, oh, look, we've taken a look at the router. It's a problem with the ISP. You need to go and call them. So they pick up the phone to BT or Verizon or whoever it is. And the people at the other end say, yeah, uh, it's a problem with your router. You need to speak to your IT department. And they go back and forth and back and forth. What vendor management is, you maintain that relationship yourself. So the client phones you. It doesn't matter what the problem is. You're the one that then goes to their vendors, their suppliers, and sorts the problem out for them. So this works super, super well um, uh, when you go down the managed services route. Uh, and it goes even better and lowering cost of your support and increasing your profit if you've got a really good relationship with those suppliers instead of just inheriting the suppliers, the vendors uh, that perhaps your client was using. Once you start using the best of breed, you know, ISPs, backup providers, whoever it might be in there, that's when life gets a lot easier. That's when you lower cost of support. That's when you increase your profits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, Jez said that he just started getting involved in lease lines at the start of running the business, but the liability was too much for us. I mean, that's, that's a one case scenario. If, even if you're not doing that for them and providing the service, the relationships are on you as, as an MSP owner. Um, and I think that that's vital. We did, well, I never really got into providing internet connectivity. Um, again, we were in a bigger city, so, you know, it was time Warner cable at, you know, they did business class, but again, I reached out to reps on LinkedIn 
I didn't want a customer service rep that's, you know, actually doing the tech support. I want the guys who are actually out selling it. And you take them to lunch. And by the way, that is a great referral source. Uh, they will bring you business. Um, just say, hey, take, you know, I'd like to take you for lunch. This is a thing we're experiencing with our customers. We want to standardize on this internet connectivity at all of our offices. If we're able to, how can we help each other? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and before you know it, I get one or two leads a week as he's out trying to sell internet connectivity. He also realizes they've got trash networks. They've got all kinds of support issues. Who gets the referral? We, we the did it across the board, Andrew. We did it with ISPs. And I'll, let me throw some really crazy ones out to you. Uh, air conditioning companies. So when your client has like a comms room built uh, and they're like, okay, we need racks and we need air conditioning and things like that in, we have that relationship. So we would introduce them to our partner. But as you say, these are all service-based businesses. Um, so those uh, air that air conditioning partner would also refer us to other clients who, you know, it depends on who got the relationship and who go in there as well. It reached the point where even as a managed service provider, we were referring people to electricians, to plumbers, all sorts of stuff. And this might sound crazy. What's it got to do with IT? But the whole point is you're building this level of trust with your clients. So they see you as the go-to person who has got this network of contacts to go out you know, uh, and then you can help uh, connect them with just about anybody there. So it's a really powerful way to build up the trust with the client. Question if, there. So in sure terms this of, um, of billing, the wacky schemes. I was going <laughs> to say, let me all talk at the same time. This sounds like Andrew's wacky scheme from the other week where he was like, oh, I, I'd like to introduce cleaning companies and, you know, I could help them, you know, maintain their lawn. And I'm like, were you just introducing cleaning companies to leave USB sticks like rubber ducky, <laughs> USB sticks lying around that people plug in. And, oh, no, it's caused an IT problem. You know who you need? An IT solutions provider. They're like, is this one of your schemes, Richard? Are you getting electricians in and they're dropping little no, issues? I'm, I'm afraid. Oh, no, this, this USB cable's come undone whilst I was plugging in a new appliance over here. No, we definitely didn't do that. But, but to the point about electricians, for instance, you know, when we all know at home, once you find really good tradesmen, they are worth they are worth their price in gold, aren't they? You know, uh, people who actually turn up when they say they will do the work. You know, actually invoice you and all of that sort of thing. So, so that's the first part of it. We built up that network, but you know, all of these people have got their relationships with other companies and other people that you would never meet. And so, um, if you if you built a relationship with them, it became reciprocal. And like you and I, Scott, are both into the go-giver philosophy. We know it's human nature to want to reciprocate. So, you know, it wasn't a financial thing per se. We, we just knew that we would get uh, a connection to all of their connections as well if we built up the relationship. Yeah. Pete, you can, I just, can I just ask, what do you do from a, um, a billing perspective? Because I've, I've had this conversation with a few of my clients of, um, okay, so you partner with a cabling company and they do the cabling. Um, in terms of do you bill the client and then the vendor bills you and you pass the cost on and adding margin possibly in that kind of that discussion, do they go direct? Because I always think that if if it's related to what you're doing as the MSP, uh, you say, say you're doing a you know a refresh for them, you, you're migrating things, but maybe, you do, okay, let's do an office move. So you're doing some office move, you're installing some new PCs for them as well, and they need a rack, they need all the kind of cabling stuff done. So in that instance, I feel that it's better for the 
cabling company to work with you and invoice you and then you add it to your quote you add your margin and then invoice it to them because at least then they're dealing with one supplier from a billing perspective uh, and it's yeah. the quotes all one quote it's nice and easy to quote whereas if you're you know bringing uh, potentially like electricians in at that stage to do a to help with the office fit out that to me is where i'd separate them and say actually the electricians have nothing to do with the it so that does that's need to be a direct relationship and you can just go and do your do your thing yeah. that's exactly what we did and i think the rule of thumb for us was do we add value to this relationship or not so with the data cabling company we always subcontracted it and what i mean by that is uh, to your point the uh, we would go in we would spec up what the client needed in association with our data cabling company they would deliver the work they would invoice us we would invoice the client. So we effectively project manage that there. But an electrician, for instance, might go in uh, and we're just doing the referral just for the sake of, you know, making sure that our client met somebody who was trustworthy, honest, and really good at what they do. And we would just make a direct introduction there. We wouldn't charge anything for that. That would be part of the, you know, the value add that we uh, gave with the managed services. So it's, you've got to look at it. Rule of thumb though, do we add value other than the introduction? If we do, it might be something we bill for directly. Otherwise, we might just introduce them directly so to that third party. For the situations where either you are billing with the vendor's costs in your, in your costs, or perhaps you do have just a relationship set up where they bill and they kind of quote the directly, what is an acceptable margin to ask for with that relationship? And that might be digging a bit too deep into giving away your, your own figures from at the time, whether you care or not. But I'd be interested no, to know what, what you like we would aim for like 20 odd percent um on there so and it depends on the size of the project doesn't it you know you and i both know pete that 20 percent of like a thousand pound project is going to you know just be overlooked uh nobody's going to bat an eyelid the same thing for i don't know a fifty thousand pound project is 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 going to raise eyebrows there so we we were one of the things we did back in the day was we were really transparent about it so if the client asked us Oh, you know, uh, should we? We want to. We, we're paying over the odds here. We want to go direct or whatever. We'd say actually, this is the value that we're adding, and we're charging accordingly for it. Uh, and the other thing, though, if if a client came to us and actually said we want to go direct to this person because we want to save on costs, that was usually a red flag that they didn't appreciate what we were bringing to the relationship. So, yeah, that's, we, we were usually about 20, 20 to twenty five percent for us, um, and it was the, it was the same, you know electrical is a totally different thing you know depending on where we were in the city there's like I, there was work that we couldn't do or bill through just because of the liability of the insurance aspect of it so but but we would bring those companies to the table tell them the project we would do all the legwork and the customer would just, we just here's the electrician we recommend that does here's what the cost like we had one uh, they were moving into a new office in one of the high rises in downtown Columbus. Kind of what you mentioned, Richard, new server room. We needed to put in a separate uh, air conditioning unit in the server room. Same thing. Worked with the HVAC company, worked with the electricians, got the whole project, what it was going to be from us, got the electrician involved, got price. And we did all of that for the client. And we just said, here, here's the cost of setting up the server room for your new office move. Uh, and I think... You know, if you're watching this live, uh, let us know in the comments to those of you who are providing vendor management. Uh, and if you're not, just tell us whether you're, you are or you aren't providing vendor management. Uh, same if you're listening to this or watching this after the fact. Uh, put that in the comments because I think that this 
this is another way where we can add value to managed services that is very overlooked. Because I think when you go in and, and this was one of the things that when we sat down and gave, you know, proposal presentations, I spent a lot of time on that, the vendor management aspect. We kind of take it for granted, but when they start adding up in their head what it costs them and the frustrations that it costs them to deal with the printer, the copier right. company, and to deal with the internet service and to deal with the cell phone provider, those are the three things that I would hit on right immediately. We will do that for you. And if those, those are pain points, we're going to solve that for you. This is how much it is for that solution. Uh, so I think it's an easy way to up the cost uh, or the pricing of your services without adding much in the way of cost other than a few hours here and there, which you're, you're going to do anyway. <laughs> you all know we did that anyway, uh, whether you're charging for it or not. So I want, I want to throw yeah. out one final point about the electrician bit just to, to make Scott laugh here because he was like, well, what is this? Is some sort of scam? you got an electrician <laughs> union going on? Scott, have yeah. you ever had to deal with, and I know you have, mate, but have you ever had to deal with a client site where the cabling has been installed by an electrician? <laughs> no! Yeah. If you've got a relationship with a good electrician, they know the limits of their knowledge and they will say, yeah, we're going to introduce you to our partner who can bring a data cabling company in to do that. Anybody listening to this who's ever had to support a network, I'm talking about Cat5, Cat6 or whatever, that's been installed by an electrician, yeah, you that's yeah, you may as well give things up there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, just, I'll, I'll I was just, just going to throw in there. So, um, oh, go on. Go, go. I was just going to throw in, so from, from Jez's comment there about the lease line side of things, I, I still think that lease lines is one that you could bring in in-house. Like Certainly internet connectivity is one thing that's, it's almost like a set and forget thing. Once it's in, it's just a nice little margin to make every single month for very little work, if, if any work at all, really. Um, to, to his point there of like a, a, at the start of the business, it's uh, too much reliability. Uh, the main thing I would say there is just do, obviously get solid contracts and credit check. Uh, if you can have a credit check in place, uh, and a credit check system that can monitor the credit check kind of uh, status as well. Um, that's the main thing that saved our bacon a couple of times. Um, and they're only on, uh, you know, small things. I think we, very early days, we lost one lease line that was like 1,500 or two, maybe two and a half grand or so, um, which was a lot, you know, at the time. But then you realize that actually you might as well just get back into business and figure out um, how you can sell another one rather than trying to recoup and trying to chase the legal costs and all those kind of things. Um, but if you can have a credit checking system that can monitor the status of their company, and then it'll it pick up for if the directors change, if the shareholders change, if there's any you know, big changes in the company, uh, you know, if someone buys the company outright, you'll know about it before they've probably even had a chance to pick up the phone and, and tell you, um, which we did have in a few situations. And actually, it did mean we can get our, you know, our foot in the door very early doors to say, hey, we, we're just, you know, introducing ourselves with the IT guys that look after you. Um, do you want to pop in and, you know, have a meeting and we can catch up and explain like what's going on? And maybe you can also explain what's going on as well. Um, so just that, that that's the main thing, I think, is, uh, yeah, solid contracts, of course. Always have a solid contract for for lease lines and backups. You know, everything you do, you should have a contract for, um, which is interestingly something that not a lot of smaller micro MSPs still have today, apparently. They still don't have their contracts in place, which I'm uh, I'm discovering. But, um, yeah, contracts and credit credit checking systems, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Jez says most, most we do, but some third-party vendors want direct-to-customer so, so he does vendor management yeah. to an extent, it sounds like, so, which is good. 
Jason Kelmsey said creditsafe.com is fantastic, completely international too, and monitors companies you work with. So Cred- yeah. Credit that- Safe is good. They're, they seem to be, I mean, they're salesmen. If, if you if you want to get a good deal on Credit Safe, just speak to them and really knuckle them down on their price because they'll always do a deal. <laughs> nice. So I think, you know, we, so we talked about, you know, if you're just joining the show late, a couple of things that we've talked about thus far is one doing a 30,000 foot view. How do you make the tickets disappear and not come into the help desk in the first place? Whether that's through automation, replacing hardware or educating your customers. Uh, second thing that we talked about was getting involved in the vendor side of things, helping them with the vendor side of things to decrease the amount of headaches for them, decrease the amount of headaches for you. Uh, anything else? Uh, I think, uh, Scott, you had another another thing to look at on the customer side uh, in talking about uh, what we do with troublesome customers would be another one. Well, so the, the topic was reducing your customer support costs. And I'm like, is that the customer's costs or is it our costs to service the customers? And I've, I've immediately assumed it's our costs as the MSP to service the customers. And in which case, the next answer is fire your rubbish customers. Because we've, we've all had those customers or you, you may be listening and have those customers that you know don't pay you enough. Take up too much time on the service desk. Ask annoying, awkward questions that have got nothing to do with the service that you're providing. And... There's, there's a threshold, right? We all want to be helpful and supportive and you know love our customers. But there are some customers who just take it too far and you know who they are and you know that they're burning too much time in your service desk. And if you've got one of the popular you know PSA tools, you'll be able to track exactly how many hours and how much it's costing you to burn away on your service desk. I would suggest that you fire those customers because it will do two things. One, is it will reduce the the cost that they're taking out of your service desk. Okay, but that will also lose you some revenue, I understand. But two, it will send a very clear message to your service team that you value them. Because some of these customers are driving your service desk team absolutely crazy. And their mental health is suffering because they have to put up with these lunatic customers and their outrageous demands. And for you as the MSP operators to maintain that customer and let that contract renew says that you value the money coming from the contract more than you value the staff in your team. Okay. And I think it's a really important differentiator to say, we won't have these types of customers. We won't put up with this kind of service. We won't put up with these kind of people just constantly taking, taking, taking far more above and beyond. And of course there's conversations to be had, you know, with the client, but at some point, and you, you know who they are, I'm talking to you, you know who these customers are, they need to go. And it's the right thing for your business. Yes, it'll take a bit of revenue away, but your team will be so thankful. You'll look at those service desk people. It's like when you take toxic people out of a team and take them out of the business because they're just so self-centered. The rest of the team are just like, oh, oh my goodness. They genuinely feel valued because you've realized that you're there for them. You're not just there for the money from the customer. Does that does that make sense, guys? Absolutely. I was going to say that is from what you were saying until the very end there was, yeah, you could say the exact same thing about your staff as well. And yeah, to, yeah. to your point there on the staff, exact same situation, member of staff actually left of their own accord. And then after the member of staff left, like all the staff turned around and said, oh my God, thanks. He, thank God he's gone. I wish he went soon. And you just kind of sat there going, oh, I kind of, 
I should have really done something about that sooner if it was really driving everyone that crazy. Um, yeah. But you kind of you learn your lessons. Um, one thing I wanted to to add on to that because yeah, you're quite right in terms of getting rid of clients. The 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 thing I keep coming up against time and time again with with all size MSPs actually, and you say they're like you're tracking your time, you're like you know how much time you're taking. Those people aren't, I, I, yeah. which I, I still find shocking. Like people aren't like they're using the ticketing systems. But the number of people I've spoken to who have the ticketing system, they use the ticketing system, they don't track time in the ticketing system. Um, so that's like the first step is actually just make sure you're putting your time in, um, you know, from the very, very basic level of how much engineering time you're putting in, but ideally capturing all of the time. So like all the time spent on quoting, on pre-sales, you know, after sales, getting the whole journey. Because when you're going to do those comparisons, um, you know, we had a, a client, for example, that they're a great client from a perspective of the the day to day, the technical support stuff, you know, all the engineers doing their job, but trying to sell them anything would be this like six to 12 month process and multiple meetings, multiple demos. We'd have to go back and do the same demo three or four times at their request sometimes. And it kind of got to the stage where we just, you know, probably on the, the demo, maybe three or four, we just turned around and said, look, it's just not. Even if we do this demo right now, it's, we're still not going to make any money based on how much time and effort we've already put in, you know, it, the labor you've put in for the quote. So if you, as long as you're tracking that, then yes, you can kind of put reports together and figure out which customers are the ones that are making a profit or making a loss. And, and that, that's fundamentally it is having the, the data in the system and going back to this automation thing, getting this report together, like having this automated report that comes out every single month, it's, it's not that difficult as long as the data is in the system to get a report that says, okay, this month, here's a list of all your clients. And did they make a profit? Did they make a loss in, in financial figures, even like how much of a profit and how much of a loss did they make? And um, you can even you know, color code it. So you can just scan through the list quickly, look for the red ones. And those are the ones you pay attention to. Um, and, and you're always going to have some that are very, very you know near to breaking even. Maybe you've made a little loss on them some months because sometimes they just have bad months and things happen. But you're just looking for trends and consistencies where it's always the same client. They're always in the red. They're always making you a financial loss. And at that stage, when you do go and have a chat with the client, you've got the data. So you can be like, look, here is literally the data. Here are the reports that show we we invest X hours into you every single month. You pay us Y. It, it doesn't make sense. So either something needs to change. Either you need to you know, take on our advice, upgrade your systems, repair the things so we're not spending all the time fixing things or your price goes up, or we fire you. Maybe that's the last thing you do, but yeah, at least you can kind of get the chance to negotiate at that stage. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's so that, the thing I would add in. Is it's shocking that people don't log their time. I, I just, I can't fathom why you wouldn't do that, but it, but people people don't, so yeah. There's so many upsides to it as well, isn't there? So if you're, if you're logging the time, um, you know, you can actually uh, delve in and see, uh, we talked earlier on, I think Andrew mentioned about training so once you're logging time you can delve in and say this member of staff at this client is always logging tickets around i don't know microsoft word you know every day the phoning how do i do this in word excel so what we used to do is look at that root cause and say okay we're going to do a free lunch and learn with that person we're going to rock up there with pizza or sandwiches we're going to do some one-on-one -on -one excel word training with them and you know what our tickets started dropping down. The other uh, benefit that we found, and it's, we worked with, oh, I can hear all sorts of things going on here. <laughs> we're, we're cheering that one. That one is gold right there. So 
<laughs> okay, so the other one I wanted to throw out there was I'm not used to being cheered. If it had been booing, by the way, I would have been absolutely comfortable with it. I'm you know, used to that being on stage. But the other one I want to throw out there is if you're logging time, as Pete says, you can look in and look at your vendor tools as well and work out which ones are working for you, which ones are not. Makes it super easy to go back to the vendor and negotiate with them based on metrics. Give an example of a US-based MSP that I was speaking with a few years ago now. They just implemented a new BDR tool, Backup and Disaster Recovery, and it was sold to them as, hey, this is going to, you know, it's going to save you a lot of money. We're going to make a lot of money with the clients and so on and so forth. After about three months, the engineer started to get a hunch that they were spending a lot of time like dealing with issues, updates, all sorts of crashes on these uh, BDR units. Sure enough, they went into the tickets and they actually highlighted the metrics. We are spending this amount of time looking after this solution. So they went back to the BDR vendor and said, hey, we've got a deal at this cost, but it's costing us this much every month to actually maintain the solution. What are you going to do about it? They got one-on-one training, uh, you know, uh, from the uh, BDR vendor. And they also managed to renegotiate the contract as well based on, you know, we need to turn a profit on this. So, so powerful. Once you start managing by metrics as opposed to gut feeling, you can go back and negotiate really well with people. Yeah, that's a great point with the one-on-one training, though. Go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, in terms of actually doing that within the various tools that you've got, um, so we were doing it with ConnectWise and using uh, BrightGauge to make those reports because you can make some very customized reports. Um, do the likes of Autotask and Halo and all these other kind of tools, can, can you do that natively? I, I genuinely don't actually know. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, yeah, we, I can tell you. Like, time tracking, tracking, so you can yeah. I think it's one of those things. It's, right, a, it's, it's a question to ask the vendor because that's something that the vendor should be able to like, at least like, design for you or implement it or... I mean, really, they should have one that's ready to go that just pulls out the costs. Uh, and when I say in terms of like getting that data out and, and knowing whether you've turned a profit, don't forget it's not just a like they're, they're paying you know two thousand for support a month. How many hours are you spending? But factor right. in the the cost and the margin on all the products you sell, like you know three six five licenses and the lease lines. If there's that in there, the data recovery, you know whatever else is in there, you want to take the total cost of having that um, client as a client and how much time you spend. So yeah, just try and capture all the time. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, you uh, the other touched, thing I'll go ahead. Uh, touching on that, going back to <laughs> Sorry, Richard's Richard. point on training, um, that was an easy fix. And I think that if if you've got a problem customer, I like we had one where it was just a problem user. It wasn't a problem customer. Right. It was a problem user. But we were able to save that account and really take it to a different level when we did just that, Richard. We did it one-on-one. We just, I went to the CEO and said, here, it looks like Susie's having a problem with this on a regular basis. Here's what we would like to do to help her do her job a little bit better. It's not going to cost you anything. Absolutely loved it. You know, we spent it. One of them was she was copying and pasting email addresses from Excel and pasting them in Outlook to send emails. It was oh. a simple thing as showing her how to use the address book in Outlook. And we just happened to notice that when we were in there helping her with support, that that's what she was doing. So it's just those little things that we take for granted that the clients know, but spending 30 minutes made dozens of tickets go away. So Pete, you go ahead. With, what were you going to say? Sorry to cut you off. 
That's all right. The, the thing I was going to say is gone. But the other thing I'm going to say <laughs> is um, in terms of like reducing complexity, I think as well. And and um, I, this comes off the back of a conversation I was having with someone about their ticketing system, about how they manage like the you've got the, the ticket coming in, you've got like an authorization ticket to go out to get the, the, the ticket approved. And then you've got maybe third party tickets and they're doing all on separate tickets. So rather than having one ticket where you're kind of communicating with everyone, they literally had three or four tickets and like child tickets they were trying to manage it with, which just to me seems very overly complicated. Um, and that runs through, I think, quite often to things like the RMM platforms. And it's quite a common one um, that I have discussions with. Of like, what do we monitor for? Because you switch everything on and then your service desk gets flooded with all the alerts of like when the antivirus is an hour out of date and then it goes away like another hour later when it's fixed itself. And so... I don't know what your guys' opinion is, but my my opinion is basically switch everything off by default uh, in terms of like automatic ticket creation, at least, and then go through and pick the things you want to have tickets created for. You know, the stuff you care about, like site down, connectivity down, server down, backup fails, you know, those kind of core things. Start with those things first. And then as you get more established, you can then go through and start enabling some of the, you know, the individual things uh, like event, event log monitoring. God, that's like a minefield. You'll get flooded with event oh, logs. Yeah. But again, if you can pick the specific event IDs of the you know unexpected reboots, you pick those event IDs and you just monitor for those ones, rather than kind of going, "Hey, we've got a new cool like you know RMM platform. Let's just go on connect to ticketing system, go." And then you realize you've got like 500 tickets to fix all of a sudden every day. <laughs> it never stops. And then this everyone gets think, kind of um... ignored. You know, everyone starts ignoring it. You never the, get through the, it, the so new, that kind of defeats the whole the new breed of vendors. The new breed of vendors that are coming through, Pete, you know, this is why I'm so excited about them, you know, your, your super ops and uh, AI-based um, uh, PSA tools and things, because they're looking at it and they're going, like, this is crazy, the old way of doing things. Either most MSPs will either, will be one or zero about it, they'll be very binary, they'll either turn it on and then it'll get too chatty and they'll go, oh, that's way too noisy, we'll turn it off. And they're missing out on all the good stuff there. So, you know, I'm loving what the new vendors are doing, this new breed of vendors. They're using machine learning. They're using AI to say, actually, this is something we can do for you out of the box. And we can serve you up with the information that we know you need to see rather than just blur all of this, you know, uh, noise across there. So, you know, if you were coming into the MSP industry now, as opposed to us guys who have been in it forever, it's an exciting time because, you know, AI machine learning is going to make things so much easier for the MSPs to actually go through and, and get real value out of these tools. Yeah, I, See, think I, it, I feel it's... Um, you touched on that one. Go ahead. I feel, like it's a, I feel like it's a complicated time to come in now because there's you've got the new breeds of stuff and you've got the, you know, the OGs, the people that went around for, for decades. And it's the decision of going with the you know, the long-standard vendors that have got the history behind them, they've got all the features built out that you know the business could operate off of, but they're old, maybe a bit clunky, don't work that well, not very efficient. But then you've got the new ones, which are shiny, fast, responsive, but they're maybe missing a lot of the features or maybe aren't quite as well thought through. So I, I feel it's like a really difficult decision to make of how, which one do you choose? You go with the new one and maybe it's going to be, you know, maybe it's going to be there at some point in the future. Or do you just go with the old boring, you know, same old, same old that everyone's used for like decades. I, I, and I, I don't know which like, way I'd go. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> Microsoft Office, they talk about like most people who install Microsoft Office use like 10% of the features. And I think mm. MSPs are like that when it comes to like PSA tools and RMM tools and everything else. You know, if you are going for the all singing, all dancing tool, um, 
I, nobody, I don't think anybody on this call or listens to the podcast would ever say, hey, we are using such and such um, a legacy PSA tool and we're using all the features. They always say things like, we're using this tool, but we're not using it properly. (laughs) So if, if it were me, if I was starting again tomorrow, I would go for one of these new tools on the understanding that by the time I really needed that feature that we would like to have, we will have only got around to implementing it by the time they've got around to actually building it. That, that's the way I view things anyway. Living yep. on the edge. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, And I think that's the other, it's a legitimate fear too, Pete. So these, these upstarts that are coming in, we've already seen it. One of the, one of the big two or big three are going to end up owning them at some point in all likelihood. Um, just because it's you, to have the runway and the cash flow to compete with them is difficult at this point. So yeah, it's a, it's a really weird thing. And I think, you know, uh, Richard, you touched on AI chat bots. There's whole different levels of cutting down on tickets, uh, that we could go into, you know, do a whole show on that. Just, you know, the automation, how to make those tickets, how to do, how to make the robots work for you. Um, but let me know in the comments too, Uh, What was your number one takeaway from today about reducing costs? Or most importantly, which one do you want want to implement first? Uh, That way, you know, we can kind of gauge where people's heads are at and where we can, you know, kind of plan out future content as well. Um, But if you're We all know it's me, right? Fire those customers. It's me. It's me. Fire fire, (laughs) fire your horrible customers. Get a good ISP. Get a good ISP. That's the real yeah. type. Fire your customers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I think this was an important time, especially as we're going into a new year. Uh, I think it's an important time for MSPs to look at those things as, as ways of cutting costs, trimming down the amount of vendors that we deal with. Um, but I think, you know, better yet, going into the new year is, is upgrade, updating the service that we provide. Um, maybe taking the next six, eight weeks, uh, I don't even know how many weeks are left. In, not even that. It's four weeks left in the year. Uh, to really kind of plan that out, um, I think it's going to be key for, you know, 2023. Any other parting shots from you guys? I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. So it's it's just framed in my mind that New Year is like new prices, right? I'm just, it's just, so I know it's not related to today's topic, but it's New Year, new prices. It's time for price rises. We're in the MSP industry, we're terrible at putting prices up, I think. And, and you know, we've had such a, a challenging year economically in all aspects of life and business that uh, you know, we, we covered this last week, actually, Pete, you made a really good point that actually, if you're going to put your prices up, now's probably the time because everyone's expecting it. Um, so maybe go back and, and rewind to check out last week's episode. But I think uh, just as I think about January and New Year, four weeks left of this year, it's time to be thinking about those prices and value for next year as well. Yeah. There was a fascinating um, graphic. I, I think you might have commented on it as well, possibly, Scott, but... Um, a, a graphic someone shared about the inflation based on which sector you're in and it oh, yeah. was in a no inflation section of like there's no inflation in it and i think if anything that shows that we're just so bad at putting up our prices that we've just sucked right. up all the inflation beneath us and yeah. haven't still haven't increased our prices because we we were had inflation IT more than a lot yeah Freaking out about putting prices up, uh, Andrew. You can probably highlight this for me. But Nigel and the Tetri, they've got like a one-page uh, letter 
uh, that's really good wording that you can just send out with a price increase. And I know the Tech Tribe has got, you know, um, uh, templates for doing automatic updates for like managed service clients where you do that, you know, um, every year there's a, an increase built in. But those sort of templates are absolute gold because we as MSPs can procrastinate so much about finding the right wording and what's the right time of year and yada, yada, yada. As Scott says, just do it. Grab exactly. a template, raise your prices, 2023, bosh, away you go. Yep, for sure. Uh, this was a good chat today, guys. Um, and if you guys have uh, ideas for future topics, please let us know in the comments. And again, we thank you for those of you who showed up live with us today. Uh, Jez, Jason, uh, who else was there? A few people Richard live Hedgel. today. Yeah, Richard Sarkeesian, uh, BitSmart Tech was on live. So we appreciate you guys hanging out with us live um but yeah any other any other parting thoughts if not we will let the, wrap this hump day edition pete when does this video come out with your gigantic times square size tv <laughs> um i think it is we're about two weeks ahead now so towards christmas i think maybe a week or two away sounds good i'll be looking for that one i watched the one on the uh samsung arc that was interesting so and I want to know when uh, Pete's neck brace gets fitted. That's the first week of January from when he's been looking at the big TV too much. Yeah. Chiropractor's visits. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, well, thanks again. Good hanging out with you this week. And we will catch you live next Wednesday. Uh, same time, same place. Peace.